Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well-researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birth this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. So we're headed into the summer, y'all, and I cannot wait. But you know who is more excited than I am? Yep, Harrison Plenty. And that is my three-year-old son, if you have not been listening before. He basically runs my whole life, and he's been asking to go to the beach literally every day for the last two months. So we're going on a road trip and taking him and the fur baby to the beach. So, you know, I'm traveling with all the things, including a life jacket for the toddler and a life jacket for the dog. Yep. I'm that mom. Everybody needs a life jacket. As soon as you, as soon as we open the door, you need a life jacket on before you go outside because we're not drowning. Okay. The waves will not sweep us away. We will have our life jackets and I'm going to like, Anchor him to the sand and the beach because I something about being uh, being on a body of water like that makes me just a tiny bit nervous. But we have to have our beach experience. This is the Harrison's second time going to the beach. The first time he didn't really even want to get in the water. He just wanted to play in the sand. But this time, y'all, he's been taking swim lessons. So he thinks he really can swim. We had a, a pool party the second half of Mother's Day. So we had a Mother's Day brunch in the morning and then a pool party barbecue in, in the evening. And we have a pool at the house and Harrison literally thought he could swim. He was jumping in the pool backwards, backstroking, all kind of stuff with his life jacket on. <laughs> so with this open body of water that can like literally sweep you away, I'm going to try to stick close to him, but definitely putting on a life jacket. Anyway, so what do you guys have planned for your family trips this summer? Let me know about it so I can get some ideas from you guys because besides this trip right here for him, I don't know where else I'm going to take him. I heard that uh, Wolf Park Lodge was actually, or maybe it's Greater Wolf Lodge, one of the two, was actually pretty cool for kids because like an indoor splash pad water park. Let me know if y'all have heard of it. Well, anyway, we're wrapping up the last week of Preeclampsia Awareness Month. Now, as you know, this issue is near and dear to my heart because I lost a cousin due to complications of the disorder. Um, well, not really a disorder, the disease process. Now, one week we discussed HELP syndrome. So go back and listen to that. That's a severe complication of preeclampsia. Last week we talked about other things that can sort of kind of mimic preeclampsia. And that's what causes headaches, specifically pseudotumor cerebri, which is one of the symptoms of preeclampsia, a headache is. Now, this week, we're going to discuss seizures. Now, the reason I feel it's important to discuss seizures is because 
eclampsia, quote unquote, happens when a patient meets criteria for preeclampsia and then develops a seizure. Sometimes this clinical picture can be a little confusing, especially if a patient has a known seizure disorder. So I felt like talking about seizure disorders this week on the podcast so we can know the difference. So a seizure disorder is a brain disorder that causes recurrent seizures. So meaning you have hyperactivity in the brain that can lead to uh, twitching, tremors, or jerking or moving movement of your muscles backwards and forwards due to uncontrolled impulses. Now, seizures are pretty common. They affect about one in 26 people. It's really common. A quarter of people have seizures. Seizure symptoms can vary very widely. Some people lose awareness during the seizures, but others don't. And if you are aware during the seizure, that's actually called a pseudo seizure, meaning you haven't lost consciousness and you're aware. If you lose consciousness, then that is an actual seizure. Some people stare blankly for a few seconds during a seizure, which is an absent seizure. And the others may repeatedly twitch their arms or legs with movements known as convulsions or spasms. And it can look sort of like a tremor. Epilepsy and seizure disorder are not the same thing. Epilepsy is diagnosed when you've had at least two unprovoked seizures at least 24 hours apart. And when we say unprovoked, we mean that we have no idea why you had this seizure. You just had the seizure. And the reason that some seizures are provoked, some seizures are provoked because you have issues with electrolyte imbalances or you have issues with certain medications that can cause seizures. You can be malnourished and that can cause you to have a seizure. You can have trauma or a bleed in the brain and that can cause you to have seizure. You can have a tumor in your brain and that can lead to a seizure. You can have a viral illness and that can lead to a seizure. So there are certain things that can cause you to have a, fe- a seizure. People with fevers, babies commonly, have febrile seizures. So when we talk about epilepsy, this means nothing caused it that we know of, but you still had at least two seizures more than a day apart. So seizures are classified into two different groups. So you can have generalized seizures and focal seizures. So let's talk first about the generalized seizures. Generalized seizures can affect both sides of the brain. And these are usually either absent seizures or tonic-clonic seizures. Now, absent seizures are sometimes called petite mal seizures. They can cause rapid blinking or a few seconds of staring into space, right? So some people that you think may have um, issues with attention deficit disorder or ADD or attention uh, uh, or just attention deficits in general without that diagnosis could actually be having absent seizures. Okay. is This is common in children that are trying to learn. So school age children, they just, you know, you're like, Hey, Hey, little Johnny, did you hear me? Right. They're really, they, they can be having absent seizures and where they lose consciousness and blankly stare into space. Okay. Absent seizures. So no shaking at all. Okay. Besides the blinking. Now, tonic clonic seizures are called grand mal seizures and they can make a person yell, cry out, lose consciousness, fall to the ground, have spasm or irky jerky movements of their extremities and muscles. And the person could feel very tired after tonic clonic seizures and often sleep after they have these types of seizures. 
Now, focal seizures are located in just one area of the brain. These seizures are also called partial seizures. So in these partial seizures, you can have simple focal seizures, complex focal seizures, or generalized, secondary generalized seizures. So simple focal seizures affect a small part of the brain. These seizures can cause twitching or a change in sensation, like a strange taste or smell in someone's mouth. Okay. Simple focal seizures. Complex focal seizures can make a person with epilepsy just confused or dazed. And the person will be unable to respond to questions or directions for up to a few minutes. So you can see how this can be confused with an absence seizure, okay, where they do a rapid eye motion and just staring into space, complex focal seizures. You just can't respond to questions or directions. You're just com- more confused for a couple minutes and then you snap out of it. Secondary generalized seizures begin in one part of the brain, but then spread to both sides of the brain. In other words, the person fo- first has a focal seizure, okay, meaning twitching of a certain area, loss of taste, smell, or a strange taste or smell. And then all of a sudden, you they develop a generalized seizure. A seizure frequency, if you're pregnant, is not influenced by pregnancy. However, women with epilepsy are at risk for a, an array of other complications during pregnancy, including an increased risk of preeclampsia, increased risk of preterm labor, and fetal and maternal complications. And that's because if you if you're seizing, there are a lot of things that can happen in the body that we just don't know of. You can fall, you can hit your belly, you can cause bleeding inside of your uterus, it can cause a placental abruption. There's various reasons that these patients can have complications with with themselves or their baby with frequent seizures. Now, animal studies have shown that valproic acid and phenytoin decrease the concentrations of certain forms of folate and are associated with spina bifida, which is also known as open neurotube defects or defect in the spine. And valproic acid and phenytoin are very common medications that are used to control seizures. So the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommend four milligrams of folic acid daily for women that are having children because if you happen to get pregnant on these medicines, then you have a high risk. You have a high risk of having a child with spina bifida or an open neuro tube defect. And we want you to continue that four milligrams of folic acid all the way through the first trimester, which is up until the 13th week. Why just to the 13th week, right? Well, the 13th week is when uh, the spine is complete, right? So you're talking about the central nervous system, 10 to 13 weeks, that's when it's developing. So after that, whatever folate you take is not going to help you. So you can stop it after the first trimester if you so choose, unless you have issues with certain types of anemia called megaloblastic anemia, which is caused by a deficiency in B12 and or folic acid. Or if you know you have issues with folic acid, then um, you obviously can continue to take it. Um, as a reminder, your prenatal vitamin has about 800 micrograms of folate. Some prenatal vitamins have up to one milligram of folic acid. So you can see just taking a prenatal vitamin is not enough folate to reduce your risk of an open neural tube defect in the event that you are on um, these medications, these anti-seizure medications. You really need to be on a specific 
folic acid or folate, same thing as folic acid, supplement, four milligrams. If you're buying one milligram tablets and they're tiny, that really means you need to take four of those, okay? It means you need to take four of those. And no, you can't overdose on folate. If you're like, well, if I have a, a milligram as opposed to 800 micrograms and I end up taking three more, you can't overdose on folate, okay? You're just gonna, your body's just gonna get rid of it if you if you have enough of it already. Now, anti-seizure drug therapy should be optimized prior to you getting pregnant, if possible, before the exposure to the baby can happen. And we say that because these medicines are affecting the first trimester. So some people can't even get an appointment with the OBGYN until they are around 12 weeks. So we would hate for you to be on a medicine that's dangerous to your developing baby. And so that's why we want you to take anti-seizure medicine and make sure we're switching and adjusting and optimizing it to where you have not had a seizure and for some time before you get pregnant so that we won't be doing these drug changes and worried about the risk to the baby once you get pregnant. Now, since there's no agreement as to which anti-seizure drug is most or least harmful to the unborn child, the medication that is effective in stopping your seizures is what you should use. The exception is valproic acid. Now, results from pregnancy registries and other studies suggest that valproic acid has a higher risk of babies being born with birth defects, with the most common being, like I said, spina bifida. But these babies can also have neurodevelopmental delay because of valproic acid. So we want to make sure you're off of that one. And mind you, if you are treated by a neurologist or any doctor and put on this, you should also be put on some type of birth control. Okay. Very important that you're on some type of birth control. And you stop it about two to three months before you start trying to get pregnant. So we need the washout period to be there. We need no exposures um, at the time of conception, meaning when you had sex to get pregnant. We do not want you on valproic acid. And actually, you need to be off of valproic acid for some time before you get, in, get pregnant. And I always tell people three months before, okay? Now, also, while concentrations of most anti-seizure drugs are generally low in the umbilical cord, meaning at the level of the baby compared to in the mom's blood, valproic acid is associated with a higher fetal level than maternal concentrations, okay, because it has increased placental transfer. So that's another reason we want you specifically off of that one altogether way before you even try to get pregnant. Now, as a reminder for preeclampsia, eclampsia, if, you, if somebody develops an eclamptic seizure, this is usually a tonic-clonic seizure. And it's usually associated with symptoms and findings consistent with preeclampsia before or right after the onset of that seizure. Preeclampsia, if you don't remember, is high blood pressure plus protein in your urine Patients with preeclampsia can also have issues with their liver, kidney, and platelet function. So these labs should be abnormal or could be abnormal, as well as the new onset of an eclamptic seizure in the event that you have eclampsia. So that's how you're going to tell the difference between regular seizure disorder versus an eclamptic seizure. Okay. Eclamptic seizure, we got to have something else preeclampsia going on. 
Otherwise, seizure disorder, if you have everything else normal and you've already ruled out preeclampsia and eclampsia. Okay, so now that we know a little bit more about seizure disorders and how they're similar to an eclamptic seizure, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 22-year-old who is 34 weeks pregnant with her first child. She has been having headaches for the past three days. Tylenol has not provided any improvement. She was seen by her OBGYN's office last week where she had a blood pressure of 139 over 99. She subsequently had a seizure and was admitted to labor and delivery for further evaluation. You were consulted to assist with management. Okay, so first off, if I saw this patient before I even got last back, anybody that has a seizure in the third trimester, I'm assuming it's eclampsia. So I'm going to put her on magnesium for seizure uh, prophylaxis. And what, what magnesium does, and when I say prophylaxis, meaning for seizure prevention. So I'm giving magnesium to prevent another seizure. Magnesium helps prevent seizures because it sort of calms the brain, okay? It calms the brain. It's going to block calcium channels in the brain. It's going to block any stimulus from targeting areas of the brain. So that's how magnesium is going to work. And so magnesium does make you feel very sluggish, can make people feel weak and tired. And that's because, again, it's blocking calcium. Okay, you need calcium for your muscles to contract. You need calcium to be able to lift stuff. So if it's blocking calcium, that means that your muscles are going to be limp. Okay. Remember, it's also blocking that hyperreactivity in the brain that's causing you have seizures. So you need to be on magnesium for 24 hours. I would order labs for your complete blood count to look at your platelets because remember, HELP syndrome can be a complication of preeclampsia. I want to look at your kidney function. So I'm going to do a complete metabolic profile. I want to look at your liver function. I want to look at what your red blood cells are doing. I want to look at all those things. Plus, I want to check the protein in your urine with a protein to creatinine ratio, which anything over 0.3 is considered significant. Or if you have a 24-hour urine collection done, any amount of protein in a significant sample, so you need at least a liter in the sample, anything over 300 milligrams in an adequate sample, a sample with adequate volume is considered significant. So I have a 139 over 99 blood pressure in the OBGYN's office a week ago. That's my range. That should have been our first clue to go ahead and check those labs. But I see that it was not done there. But since we come in with a seizure, we have no choice but to do it. Start magnesium, draw labs, and let's monitor the blood pressures to see how high the blood pressures are. Now, mind you, seizure disorder in general usually does not cause high blood pressure, okay? Seizure disorder is just seizure disorder. Some people can have some changes in their heart rate and things like that, which can subsequently lead to your your blood pressure being slightly high. But this patient had elevated blood pressure that wasn't associated with the seizure. So we have to figure out what caused the mildly elevated blood pressure. Remember, when we look at blood pressure, the systolic numbers on the top, the diastolic numbers on the bottom. The systolic number being over 140 in pregnancy is considered high. The diastolic blood pressure being over 90 in pregnancy is considered high. So we, you see, we do have elevated blood pressure based on that bottom diastolic number. So usually we're going to send people to the lab right away to get labs drawn and you would be sent to OB triage or the ER 
to have your blood pressures serially monitored, meaning you check it every 15 minutes to see the trend of the blood pressure. So I'm going to do that now, now that she's admitted to see how high the blood pressures are. If her blood pressure is high, despite her being on magnesium, which does have the side effect of lowering blood pressure, although it's not intended for that, and we have had an eclamptic seizure, that tells us, hey, she does have her criteria for diagnosing preeclampsia. So I would attribute this eclamptic seizure to, um, I would attribute this to seizure to being eclampsia, not just a seizure disorder. Okay. So in addition to that, that magnesium needs to be continued for 24 whole hours. And once she's stable, meaning the blood pressure is under control, we have her on magnesium and she's stable. We don't necessarily need to wait 24 hours, but I would like to wait to try to get steroids um, injections on board to help accelerate lung maturity of the baby. So we usually give either betamethasone or dexamethasone. Betamethasone is a 12 milligram dose we give people intramuscularly, so usually in your butt, and then we repeat that dose one other time, 24 hours apart. So if we could wait to get those doses on board, we know that that drops the time that babies have to spend in the NICU in half. And at 34 weeks, usually babies spend up to five to six weeks in the NICU. We know with steroids, that time can be cut in half. So if we can control her and get steroids on board, I would. But if the blood pressures are high and we're having to push IV medicines to help with the blood pressure, or she develops another seizure, that is a reason to go ahead and proceed immediately with delivery, even if the steroids aren't on board. I'm going to deliver. And usually most people that have an eclamptic seizure get one dose of steroids and then they just delivered. Okay. Because we don't want to risk you having another seizure and that cause you have issues with the baby, meaning the placenta shear away from the inside wall of the uterus called a placental abruption or any other compromise with the pregnancy. Um, and it's better to deliver while you're stable versus somebody that's constantly going into seizures. Um, uh, we don't want to deliver somebody while they're acutely seizing. Obviously, we want them to be stable because can't cut you while you're, can't do a C-section while somebody's seizing. So we want to make sure she's controlled and stable on the magnesium, start the steroids, and then proceed with delivery. The case pearl for this particular case is elevated blood pressures plus a seizure is eclampsia until proven otherwise. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? Our second case is a 34-year-old who is 14 weeks pregnant with her second child. She has a known history of epilepsy defined by occasional absence seizures. She has been on several medications, but she is currently controlled on Depakot. But she was told that she should avoid Depakot in pregnancy, but she is afraid that she will start having frequent seizures again. She was referred to you to discuss the risk of continuing the drug. Okay, as stated in the intro, there's no specific drug that we should take during the pregnancy. Now, there are some medicines like Keppra or Lamotrigine that have been known to be safer in pregnancy, but a lot of people, especially with absence seizures, are not successfully treated with this. And it sounds like she has a history of taking several different types of medications. 
And this is what works. So we've tried different type of medications. If we've tried all the ones that are safe in pregnancy already, and we know that you see through them, then we have to weigh the risk of you continuing the Depakote versus the risk of discontinuing it and having more seizures. And if you're somebody that has frequent seizures, then obviously we want you as well controlled as we possibly can. Um, Depakote is not valproic acid, but it works very similar to that in that it does increase the risk of having spina bifida or open neurotube defects. So anytime somebody's on valproic acid or Depakote, we do want you to discontinue that medicine, especially in the first trimester, to reduce your risk of open neurotube defects or spina bifida. Now, mind you, everything that happens after the 13th week, if you're on medicine, your development has happened up until that point. So you can't go backwards and create a defect after that point. Now you're already 14 weeks and you've been on Depakote. So then you have to ask yourself, is there any benefit of seizing if you're already past the point where Depakote will cause the majority of harm? And I would say, no, if you're controlled on Depakote and you're beyond the first trimester, there's no reason to have to play with the regimen any further. We've gotten you past the danger of gestational ages And all we can do now is do your ultrasound for anatomy at around 18 weeks to look at the baby from head to toe to make sure that we don't have a baby that has open neural tube defects or spina bifida or any other defect that these medicines can be associated with, like small heart defects and things such as that. Now, patients that have seizure disorder on medicines that can compromise the uh, DNA, okay? do need monitoring periodically to evaluate the growth because there is an increased risk of babies being smaller and increased risk of preterm birth. So I do want to, after that 18 to 20 week detailed ultrasound for the anatomy of the baby, you will need to be seen every four to approximately six weeks just to track the size of the baby. Small babies have increased risk of stillbirth, okay? And so we look at small babies way more frequently every week to look at the blood flow through the brain and from the placenta through the umbilical cord and to the baby. If we ever see abnormal brain flow or blood flow in the baby, that would mean that the patient needs to be delivered to prevent a stillbirth. But if the growth is normal, the only thing that would need to be done with somebody that's on Depakote is to be followed every four to six weeks and not necessarily delivered early and not necessarily needing the weekly follow-up visits to monitor anything because the baby's normal, the baby's just normal. So for this case, the case pearl is Depakote in the first trimester is associated with open neural tube defects or spina bifida. But in this case, we have to weigh the risk of continuing it versus the benefits. And the benefit is that she's not, not going to have any seizure. The risk is sort of nil because we're already past that point of organ development of the baby because we're now in the second trimester. All right, medical intern, do we have any email cases or questions? We do. This one says, Dr. Plenty, I have Rasmussen encephalitis and would like to get pregnant. Are my recurrent seizures harmful to the pregnancy? So Rasmussen's encephalitis, I've seen twice in my career. It's very rare, but it's basically a chronic inflammatory problem um, with the brain. And it's called, it causes frequent seizures. It causes muscle weakness, loss of consciousness sometimes, paralysis, weakness in the body. 
And it can go from one arm to a leg. It's just random areas of weakness in the body. And, and people can have dementia because they have so much inflammation in the brain, so many seizures that they can be very forgetful and have a very dementia-like picture. And some of that dementia is not reversible. It continues to be progressive. So the question is, are they harmful to the pregnancy? Anytime you have a seizure, it can be harmful to you. Okay. The more seizures somebody with Rasmussen's encephalitis has, the more likely you are to be um, de- uh, debilitated, bed bound, not be able to speak and have issues walking. So those things in itself, lack of mobility and a lack of uh, communication can cause you to have an increased risk of bad stuff happening like a blood clot in your leg that migrates to your lung. Um, that can cause you to need to be intubated and things like that. If you're constantly having seizures, that can cause you to hit your belly. That can cause the placenta to shear away from the wall of the uterus. Um, it can cause you to go into preterm labor. It can cause your water to break. There's a lot of things that happen with Rasmussen's encephalitis. We do not want people seizing. Uh, I would definitely say you need to be controlled first. And Rasmussen's encephalitis is difficult to control. So you need to go to your neurologist to get you on a regimen that controls you. And then you have to figure out what's the right timing for you. When are your seizures infrequent enough for you to go ahead and get pregnant? Only your neurologist and you can answer that question. Because everybody presents a little bit different with Rasmussen's encephalitis. I would want you controlled as much as you possibly can be before you are pregnant. The seizures themselves cause you to, when you're not conscious, you may not be breathing. And if you're not breathing, that's a lack of oxygen to the baby. So anybody with Rasmussen's encephalitis would need to continue the regimen that works for them. You need a detailed ultrasound of the anatomy around 18 to 20 weeks, and you need to be followed closely once a month to evaluate the size of the baby to make sure the size is okay. You would also need testing. Like I say, the last patient didn't need the testing every single week. You with Rasmussen encephalitis will need testing every single week in the third trimester, starting around 32 weeks to keep a very close eye on you. And depending on the frequency of your seizures and whether or not they're controlled or not, would tell us if we recommend a delivery earlier or whether you could wait until all the way to 39 weeks before delivery. It really depends on the frequency of your seizures and the parts of the body that have permanent disability versus temporary disability. So I hope that answers your question. Medical intern, do we have any more email questions? And she's shaking her head no. So thanks you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pro's podcast. I hope that you learned more about seizures and pregnancy. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to share with your friends, rate and comment. If you didn't enjoy the show, hmm, by humbug. (laughs) I won't say anything else about that. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypros at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at Pregnancy underscore Pearls and Facebook at Pregnancy Pearls. You can feel free to catch up on the YouTube channel to see my smiling face to make sure to check out the website, which is DrNicolePlenty.com for more free pregnancy downloadables. And for goodness sake, catch up on all the good content we had on the podcast and make sure to share with your friends. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself 
You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production.